This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Good morning, everybody. My guest this morning is Linda Holiday. She's an entrepreneur who has spent a career at the intersection of media, marketing, and tech, building leading-edge strategies, technologies, and companies that empower the most demanding marketers and publishers to learn teach, target, sell, and storytell across an ever-expanding array of opportunities and challenges. She is the founder and chief executive of Cydia, and first and o- the first and only third-party system that creates swipeable card-based media flows that integrate into the native feeds and flows on mobile media. Linda, are you ready to take us to the top? Ready. This is, this is like Tinder for enterprise content, right? Swipe yeah. and you're good. Kind of, yeah. Or Instagram <laughs> stories for businesses, maybe. That's probably a better way to say it. So you you tell me, what do you do and what's your business model? How do you make money? So a little bit of a backswing because Cydia is really a thesis-driven business. And the thesis is that a few years ago, the internet really changed from this transitional internet where we were putting stuff like brochures and ads on the internet. And it's become something that's all feeds and flows. The best example is music. Like we used to buy music, a CD or a download, but now it just streams. So all content's going there. It's going to stream. So every company has to make streaming content if they want to participate in the next internet. And we're the platform that lets big companies do that at scale so they can make something on a platform one time and then use it in infinite reconfigurations across any channel. And what's the, what's the business model? Is it SaaS or performance-based? We charge by the month. Um, we have enterprise customers. So, um, you know, we, we charge for inventories and they can buy multiple inventories. And I want to learn more about kind of how the tech actually works. Before we do that and before we get more of your backstory, Linda, w- give us an average size here. What's the average enterprise, would you say, pay in a year? So we're, um, depending on the size of the contract, 90 to 150000 a year. And what kinds of leverage are you using to drive that kind of cost up or down? Is like, is it number of seats, pieces of content? What are the numer- numbers? So we're trying to price it in a way that we don't throttle our own adoption. So instead of pricing by the seat, we price by cards. And in the future, we may end up going into a storage model as well. So we're trying to, you know, make as much money as we can without, you know, discouraging that more viral adoption inside companies. What is a card? My audience won't know what that means. A card is like a post or a pin, a Pinterest card. So when our customers make card-based media, the format is standardized. And that lets us, in the background, iterate that content across 10 different systems So it's optimized in every browser and device combination to be beautiful. That's how we get that swiping action. We actually actually access, you know, the graphic processors, et cetera. We do all the email, QA, and all the social integrations. So if you're familiar with Unity, it's kind of that concept where a customer makes something once, and then we handle that permanent 
kind of iteration across all these platforms. It's essentially like you've created the Lincoln log for kind of web streaming, you know, streaming 2.0, and you then take that Lincoln log, that chunk of content, and can build many, many different things with it. I love that. Exactly. We say I, Lego. I get 10%. Yeah, that's great. No one has said Lincoln Logs yet. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to make it relatable for my audience. And, you know, I actually do relate to this because all these interviews I do with CEOs, I'm actually now they auto create cards in my database at gitlatka.com. And what we're doing is it's nowhere near your sophistication level. I need to check you guys out. But we take those cards that can be easily embedded in blog posts and other forms of media on mobile. And it's working so well, thinking in forms of Lincoln Logs versus static content. Exactly. Because what's happened is we've kind of gone to a small PC ecology. Like a lot of what was built in the past was built on almost like a high rise. Like you had a giant website and you had all these special purpose digital content elements and they're big and they're, they're not easy to use. If you just think about your chunks of content like you did and wanting to shoot them wherever you want them to go and having uniform metrics that come back to you, that's the system that fits the new um, you know, feed and stream ecology. And when you update the core Lincoln log, it auto updates across all the instances, right? Exactly. You're exactly. smiling because that's a big selling point for you guys, isn't it? Well, it's a big pain point for our customers, yeah. right? All that stuff gets out of sync because, you know, a lot of this technology has been built for startups. It's like hand-to-hand combat. And I say there's a big difference between playing pickup ball and running the Lakers you know, like the Lakers has a parking concession, right? It's a complex business with lots of moving parts, lawyers, regulations, global fans, et cetera. So managing all of that media across all these regions and channels is um, not just difficult, it's a liability issue. Yeah, that makes good sense. Now, take me back here. When did you launch the company and have you decided to bootstrap or have you raised capital? Uh, well, we launched in 2012 and we were working mostly with publishers. So we did some really cool work with like Kevin Kelly and Snoop Dogg. And, um, but we decided that wasn't, they weren't really ready for what we were doing in terms of business models and commitments. So we decided Snoop Dogg is never ready. Let me just tell you, he's never ready. (laughs) He's more ready than you think. He's pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, and we learned a lot from those projects that actually allowed us to perfect the software with some really, um, you know, imaginative people and use cases. So that was really great. And it was really hard. Like if you could make a book like what technology wants into cards, that's, you know, you've kind of set the bar out as far as it needs to go. Anything else is easier. But then we just pivoted to companies who are more um, kind of serious about really rocking this new era. And we look for big companies like GE, Comcast, MasterCard, Viacom. How many, how many do you work with now today? How many customers? We have 12 enterprise customers. Got it. So this is very much a kind of a low volume, high touch, high ACV model versus a volume, low ARPU model. Correct. Yep. Now, can I take, you mentioned earlier, kind of the contract value of around 90 grand minimum. Can I take that times 12 and assume you guys are doing about 90 grand a month? Is that fair? Around there. I mean, the problem with these big customers, and um, we have like Fortune 100s, maybe Fortune 30s or whatever, but they are pretty slow to pay. So the lag time between a yes and maybe even being in market and getting the revenue is, is the thing that we How have. long? What's the sales cycle? The sales cycle's short. The pay cycle's long. <laughs> so, I mean, we usually get a yes in a first meeting, um, but we are kind of cherry picking who we call on. And then it takes- How, really- Linda? How are you doing that? 
So we look for tells, like poker tell, like when companies are actually talking about innovation in a way that is fearless and um, not romantic. You know, the problem with publishers is they're very romantic about what they make. GE just wants to survive or win. So <laughs> when we hear those signals from a, a big company that because it's painful to change from the way they used to change to the way they need to be. And so when we hear that that's serious, that's when we go in. What are you spending? Well, actually, before I ask you what your CAC is, I mean, have you bootstrapped this or have you raised? We raised an angel round a couple years ago, and we've been bootstrapping and, and running off our revenues. So how much total has been invested in the company? Um, we're not really talking about that now. Uh, to help, help me understand. I won't push you more on that, but strategically help me understand why. Um, well, you know, the positioning to potential raises and whatnot is pretty delicate craft. And um, we want to make sure we do that really well. Got it. It's, all the metrics, right? Yeah. My, I mean, my research team, they do a great job at getting data. The, the, what they brought back to me was you guys have raised about $2.8 It was pretty public in a press release. Is that accurate? Um, at one point, it was accurate. <laughs> okay. How does that number change? You pay some of it back or? I put some more of my money in. We've been, you know, making money. So, um, yeah, there's more invested in the business than that at this point. I got it. And now how did you give me more of your backstory? So people are going, wait, where did Linda get money from? How, she must have had something big successful after this. How, how'd you do it? Why did you launch the company? And where were you at, at, at a mental state when you did that? Uh, well, I had a significant exit a few years ago, sold a company to Publicis and um, decided to do what everybody does, became an angel investor. And I was very excited about all this new technology. It was Christmas in 2007, you know, the and cloud, the iPhone, <laughs> HTML5. I couldn't wait to just like sit around and tell people what I thought they should do. But um, what was the company, Linda, that you sold to Publicis or Publicis? It was called um, NBC, and then it was Digitas Health, and now it's, I think, Publicis Health. Okay. And when you say significant, like if that's a very relative term, is there any way you can quantify that? I never had to work again. Okay, good. That's good. So, <laughs> so But you didn't go buy a $100 million jet, but it was enough where you didn't have to work again. Right. No, it was it was enough to actually fund some, you know, uh, project, big special projects, too, which is I had already been running. That was my fourth exit. So I had already kind of been living the life I had in mind. So I didn't really have a pent up need to get off ramen or anything. And uh, I'm more interested in making media and what's coming. I'm I'm very excited. And I got disappointed with what I saw, which was a lot of iterative thinking, you know, page turning stuff. It wasn't very imaginative. And we really got all the technology we needed to make anything we can think of, literally anything you can think of, you can make at this point. And so I just had to get off the sidelines and get back on the field because I really didn't see people approaching media with that kind of imagination. And my background's design and systems um, sciences. From I know, I'm, lo I'm looking at this. I can't read it, so don't worry. But I'm looking at this whiteboard behind you with these very organized post-it notes going, she must be like a systems thinker. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you at today in terms of team size? We're 13. Okay. All based, at, are you in New York? We're all in New York. New York City. So launched in 2012, 13 folks full-time, New York, up to kind of 12 enterprise customers. What are you finding you're having to spend to land these guys, like fully weighted, would you say? Well, um, our payback's well under a year. We don't really spend a lot on media. We do a little bit of promoting posts. It's it's pretty organic. And the biz dev department, of which I am one, you know, there's one and a half of us. I'm the half. 
you know, we do all this pretty much direct. Um, we're, we're definitely looking up our, our platform is pretty DIY now. So we're looking at opening up a self-serve, uh, version of that and, and looking at the pipeline and see, seeing how that fills our funnel out this year. Maybe decrease, like maybe moving kind of price point down, but do a no touch sale, self-serve kind of model. Possibly that's the part we're trying to figure out right now. Um, you know, we obviously can do that, but there's a lot of demand in, um, uh, the product we do have. So we're more interested at the moment in lead gen. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I want to tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big, smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal and I want to show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com, click the red button that says install this on Gmail. And when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report. And you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use. www.thetopinbox.com. How do you how do you introduce that kind of no-touch product without eroding your enterprise revenue? Um, by not pricing it less. Okay, got it. So you would make it DIY, but keep it the same price. Yeah, and there's so many features in these platforms. If it came down to crippling some, you know, metrics or number of cards available, there's there's a lot we could do to kind of uh, you know encourage customers to move up into more fully featured versions. It, it does kind of happen organically, though. One of the weird and wonderful things about the platform is when people buy it for one purpose, they start using it for a lot of other purposes. So um, customers are using it for training, for employee communications, for publicity, for um, product information, all kinds of things. So their, their usage actually grows. And then hopefully our price points will grow, you know, elegantly with them. With these 12 enterprise customers you have, and considering your background, you've had many, many exits, you've been in this space for a while. How many of these customers have been your customers across many different companies? One. Oh, really? I was expecting that you just take this chunk of 10 core customers and launch them into whatever new product you come up with. No, no, actually only one. Okay. Yeah. All right, one. Customers all have the same problems, right? So it's a little bit indistinguishable when you go between like a a Comcast, a GE, you know, they all have the same scale problems. They all have, uh, you know, the, the growth, their own kind of internal processes. A lot of their challenges are, have to do with being big, right? And so they're very common across the companies. What is your churn and retention look like? Or, or it's hard for you to measure that because the cohort is so small. It's really, you know, our business is really chunky with this kind of uh, customer set, but I'd say it's it's well under 10%. Annually? Yeah. That's great. In terms of both revenue and logo churn? 
Yeah, only logo churn. Revenue is, you know, net positive growing. Got it. You mean like net negative where your expansion is way Sorry. more than your, yeah. Yes. By the way, yeah. I'm, I'm dyslexic. I always get that. Get that upside down, right? Well, because you have churn and retention and then you have net negative or positive. And it's like, whew. Okay. So you're, just to be clear, your expansion revenue on your base even always eclipses any lost revenue you've gotten over the past year. And things happen like GE divested a unit. And so that new company that bought it signed a contract. Yep. Right. So that happens for us too. Who are you, what team are you typically selling into? When we do outbound, we're looking for um, often a marketing person or an innovations person. It can be a P&L person, though, who has a real business um, agenda that's clear. So um, it's more about the mindset to change that we identify, but they tend to be top line people looking for, you know, new ways to make markets because that's gotten so tough. And are you inventing kind of a new line item in the in the budget of these folks or are you replacing something? Um, We're mostly replacing internal tech. So like internal CMS stuff. Um, not CMS so much, but uh, custom technology. So sometimes we say it's like going from custom kitchens to kind of an Ikea kitchen. You know, they're replacing their, um, you know, single purpose media built on um, more, you know, kind of outdated and expensive platforms with expensive partners. Um, one of our customers did a study where 90% out cost solution. And at the same time, we have a, a huge impact on metrics. So, um, it's often 10 times the metrics they got in the prior, uh, strategies and tactics. So it's a cost out and an impact up scenario and what they replace are old things that don't work and some expensive partners, sometimes agencies. A lot of these customers are also trying to do more of this work in house. Had uh, last question here before we wrap up with the famous five lifetime value. Uh, this is obviously like a finger in the air, right? But for you, how do you think about lifetime value and how does that help guide your business if it does at all? Um, well, we the lifetime value is unknown because um, these inventories have value themselves. It's kind of like your shopping list on other platforms you might use. So there's a big cost in these customers moving their assets off of our platform. So we think that makes us pretty sticky. And as they get more and more comfortable with communicating out of more of an asset or a library um, framework rather than a campaign framework, they'll continue to reuse all these things. Um, one of the big, you know, profound changes is that the customer journeys have become nonlinear. They used to be a little bit more tightly managed by these companies. So they need all these assets constantly to be refreshing all these different customer journeys. And, you know, they live on our system and it's such a, you know, such a um, lean um, approach to what they've been doing. I think there's a lot of room for us to stay really vital and well-priced for them. So do you assume a minimum of at least three years? I think permanent myself. I mean, I can be proved wrong, but I think it's just like an Oracle or, or AWS um, that you have a kind of, you know, your customers know how to use you. They've, you know, given you their product in input and you've incorporated the meaningful input into the product and that we can have a long-term healthy relationship with them. We're really clear about our business model. It's to make our customers successful. Yeah. I asked the LTV question though, because like if you assume, um, infinite lifetime value, you could get really aggressive on CAC and then that can get you in trouble. So I'm just curious in your most conservative world, do you, do you, do you think about an LTV minimum? 
Well, I think it's many millions of dollars because, you know, we're at such a, you know, um, rounding error to that right now. Um, right now, our our payback is less than a year, even at that price. So I think the room for us to go is at least, you know, 10 times that. That makes good sense, Linda. I love I, lo- I love the product. Uh, I love the space you guys are in. It's going to be fun to watch you. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, team of Teams. Number two, is there... Uh, yeah. Is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Well, Jeff Bezos, that's like being alive when Henry Ford figured everything out. If you're not studying him, you're missing something. Number three, is there a favorite, besides your own, is there a favorite online tool you have? Okay, this is silly, but Apple Notes is amazing because Siri is the best dictation software in the world and it's free and it automatically updates in the cloud on every device you use. So that's like my microphone. I'm talking to it constantly. I'm doing, I do the same exact thing. Uh, and it's free, which is the best number four. How many, how many, I know how many hours of sleep to get every night? Oh, six. Okay. It's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Married. Any kiddos? No kids. No kids. And do you mind me asking Linda how old you are? Oh, let's, we'll skip that. We'll skip that one. Take us back. Take us back to your 20 year old self. What do you wish she knew? Um, okay. That's interesting. I think, um, maybe I would have, I would have cut some, uh, losses faster. There you guys have it from Linda. She would have cut some losses faster. She's now building a brand new company in the kind of, uh, content management space relative to the new web and sliding and flipping and all this kind of stuff. Launched it in 2012. They've put over 2.8 million bucks into the company, both her own money because she's had successful exits and outsider capital. Their team of 13 is based in New York. They're working with over 12 enterprise level brands paying over 90 grand per year uh, on average, again, as they scale and grow, doing around 70 grand, or sorry, excuse me, doing around 90 grand per month in revenue with super healthy economics. Linda, thank you so much for taking us to the top. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.